Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 100 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the works of writer-director J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. I'm Matt Crandall, here as always with my co-host Marcelo Inostroza as we put a bow on season two of Fringe. Today we are going to be talking about the two-part season two finale, but off the top, 100 episodes. Marcelo, we want to thank the fans who listen to the podcast. It's been almost two full years of doing Radio 815. We've talked Felicity, Alias, Lost, and Fringe. We've got more stuff planned for the future. What do you want to say to the people about 100 episodes of the pod? Well, first, I just wanted to say uh, thank you to our listeners who have been listening to us for almost two years. And secondly, I just want to give a huge thank you to you, Matt, because thank you for putting up with me for 100 episodes and, you know, and tolerating me for 100 episodes because this show wouldn't exist in the way that it does without you. So you might think a little bit differently, but I think that you are the heart and soul of the show. And I'm just the guy here mining the store, making sure that it doesn't burn down. So I would just like to say thank you for taking a chance on somebody that you didn't know to talk about one of your favorite uh, writer directors uh, working today. So it's been a pleasure. And here's to 100 more. And I'd say the feeling is mutual. And I've been having a blast doing this with you, Marcelo. And to get a different perspective on JJ's work has been a lot of fun. And I couldn't imagine doing this with anybody else. So I'm having a blast and I'm so happy that you created the show and got us rolling. And I think that we have been picking up steam as we go and that you do a great job and all of the, the stress and anxiety. Marcelo's the guy who does a lot of the social media posts and getting the word out there. We trade off editing the show season by season to have a, a little bit of a rest, but I appreciate all your hard work and tireless hours. So if you guys enjoy the show, let Marcelo know, give him a shout out, comment on the YouTube because he's in charge of all of that stuff while I'm just the guy who sits back and occasionally checks in the typewriter to make sure that the messages are going through. What has been your favorite moment of uh, the first 100 episodes of our show? Does anything stick out to you? I think I've had a blast revisiting a lot of classic shows that I really like, but if I had to pick one episode of Radio 815, that I would put in the books for me, it is, it's a, it's a tie. It's either our lost season three finale through the looking glass. One of my favorite episodes of television, just to be able to dig into that and go deep on how incredible switching from flashbacks to flash forwards and the innovation of that, or getting your thoughts on the series finale of lost being a big Lost fan and digging into to all of that baggage, which when you ask somebody what they think of the series finale of Lost, you're opening a can of worms. So I appreciated your perspective on that. And I thought that both of those episodes were some of our strongest work. Yeah, for me, the early days, the very early days are the things that stick out to me the most. Episode four of Felicity, when Felicity ends up making that horrible decision. And I completely forgot that she cut off her hair. And the way that I reacted on the pod was just genius. And your reaction was like gold because you didn't know that I was going to say that. I generated our first commercial out of that. So that comes to mind. And also the Alias episode where you were confirmed as to why you didn't like the woman that Vaughn was getting married to. And your reaction 
She's saying, oh, this is why I hate her. I knew why I hate her, because she's a British bad woman. You know, that's very, very early on uh, in the history of our show. But I do I do agree with you that the best that we have been is so far is when we were recovering loss. So hopefully as we move forward here, we'll make more memories like that. And I definitely urge everybody, if you haven't checked out the back catalog, check it out. It did take us a while to figure out the format and the proper amount of episodes per pod but I think we've locked in on a, a good target now. And I definitely appreciate that, Marcelo, you bring a lot of personal and emotional stories to your viewing, letting the listeners in on a little bit of who you are, bring your family and your personal experience into the way we do that. I just want to thank all the listeners up top. We are going to now talk about part one over there. Part one, which is episode 21 of second season of Fringe. This finale is a two-part finale, but it aired one hour at a time over two weeks. So we'll talk about Over There Part 1 first, and then we'll talk about the second episode, which is Part 2. Because unlike Lost, where they often would air two-hour finales on the same day, this literally had a week in between Hour 1 and Hour 2. The episode is written by the heavy hitters, Pinkman, Wyman, and Goldsman, directed by Akiva. Marcelo, what are you thinking when... This episode opens and we realize, wait a minute, this is not our universe. You know, Matt, when you're watching a TV show and you're sitting there and you're like, you're, you're, you're kind of wondering to yourself, why the fuck do I love this show again? And then something happens and you're like, oh, this is why I love this show. And this is why this show is the best show ever. Like, like you know, like the first time I watched uh, The Red Wedding, I, I, you know, I recognize why. I love Game of Thrones so much. The first time I watched the Fly episode from Breaking Bad, I recognize why I love the show so much. And this episode, from start to finish, I just ate it up. I felt, actually, a feeling of joy while watching this episode. And you said it. Uh, when this episode opens up, we are led to believe that we are in our universe, but it turns out that we are in another universe. We get introduced to an alt version of Charlie, an old version of Olivia, and we meet a agent called Lincoln. So I thought the opening of this episode with them investigating a fringe event in a sort of opera house was outstanding. But the moment that made me scream is once the fringe agents from the other universe enter the opera house, at some point the camera pans back and hidden behind some seats is Walter, Olivia, and a couple uh, characters from the Cortexafan trials. And then the camera pans up and you see the blimp and you realize, holy fuck, we are in the other universe. So I love this episode because it reminded me so much of why I love Fringe. It had some of the bad robot touchstones. I love the way that Anna Tor's doppelganger was played. I thought she did a great job. Walter was great. It, it was just such a good episode. Yeah, it's a it's a great one. It's definitely one of the all-timers for Fringe. And it definitely has the bad robot hallmarks because we open using a technique in media res where we start into the episode and then we flash back to 36 hours earlier, which anybody who has watched Alias will be very familiar with that technique. So we open with that alternate Fringe team and them investigating an event and trying to figure out if they need to make it a quarantine zone or not. 
And what we find out in this opening scene is that the amber that we saw that bus that got encased in amber last season. This is actually the way that this universe deals with rips in like the time space continuum between universes. And their fringe team has actually been working for years and going around and quarantining these potential disastrous holes between universes by using this amber that traps everyone within a certain amount of radius inside. And later in the episode, we find out like, you know, the people who were at Madison square garden who got encased in amber have now legally been declared dead because they've been trapped for 10 years. Knowing that that is something that this side deals with almost all the time shows us that yes, this other universe is similar to ours, but if they have a team that is trying to stop this impending merging of universes and the public know about it and everyone just accepts if you happen to be in a quarantine zone, sorry about your luck, that's how it's going to be, is mind-blowing. And to then see that our main team has traversed somehow into this universe was very exciting. But then when we go, you know, 36 hours previous, the next 10 minutes, or actually longer than that, almost 15 or 20, is about them trying to figure out how they're going to be able to cross over to try and track down Peter. And a little bit of the tension is undercut because we know that they cross over. We saw it in the first five minutes of the episode. I did enjoy, though, how they decide that they can do this because they realize Olivia has gone herself to the other universe. They're not sure how she did it and if William Bell was involved, but she had the meeting with Bell. She had those flashes where she was in Broyles' office. So they know that it is possible that Olivia will be able to do this somehow. And they realize that the Cortexafan kids, or the Fannies, as I'm going to call them from here on out, the Team Fanny are going to be able to amplify her power. And if they round up some of these kids, then we can make it happen. And we get familiar faces. We get James, who was a couple episodes back, the guy who broke into Olivia's place. We get Nick. We get Sally. And this is the team who are going to be able to hopefully help us get there. One of the main reasons we need to get there is because the observers dropped off a very disturbing piece of paper. Marcella, what are you thinking when we are realizing that the observers are kind of intervening because they give Olivia this pamphlet that shows Peter Bishop as part of some sort of doomsday prophecy, standing in a weird machine and a picture of Josh Jackson with his eyes burning out. I thought that was delicious because, you know, Bad Robot does prophecy kind of well, as we've, uh, you know, as we know from Alias. So the fact that the observers kind of pushed our fringe team or gave them a clue as to what is going to happen to Peter if they don't find a way into the universe eventually. I thought it was very, very cool. But uh, you mentioned that to you, they, you know, it felt undercut, right? That, you know, we first start with that scene of seeing our fringe team in the other universe, but then we go back to a little bit earlier. And you mentioned that we spend a little bit, a little bit of time uh, sort of spinning our wheels a little bit. But I like that. You know why I like that? Because it showed that, Walter and Olivia specifically are kind of are kind of melancholy and kind of frightened as to what is about to happen because we see Olivia saying goodbye to her sister and her niece, which I thought was very, very touching. 
Olivia has this moment where she gives her niece this cross. And the next scene is Olivia saying goodbye to her 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 sister, which is which is really, really heartwarming. You know, you know, even you know, even though we don't like them on this podcast, I just like seeing that moment because we don't get to often see Olivia be vulnerable like that. But the thing that made me really go, holy shit, they might not come back if they go, is when Walter is sort of fumbling in his closet. And he just says one thing. He says, you know, help me God. That's all he says. So I really like those small, emotional, you know, touching moments that Akiva Goldsman and the writers of this episode put in before our fringe team goes to the opera house and the way that Walter, you know, sort of makes everybody go through to the other side, I thought was entertaining. And the way that Akiba Goldsman directed that by making the camera go in circles faster and faster and faster and faster was like, okay, I feel like Al, you know, I feel like Alice and we're, and we're about to go down the rabbit hole here. So I like that whole sequence a little bit more than you did. I think I like that sequence. It's just that when we spend so much time wondering how they're going to be able to traverse universes and we already know that they are able to do it because we've seen it. I think that it did get us invested by starting that way off the top. And certainly as Olivia has that heartfelt interaction with Ella and Rachel, we know it's a goodbye, but they don't necessarily know it's a goodbye until Rachel kind of clues in when she realizes that Ella has the cross. She's like, Whoa, Olivia would not just give that up for no reason. So I do like that the Fanny team is basically the X-Men that they've assembled. They're at Xavier's school learning how to control their powers, and they're all in a much better place than we saw them previous, because every time we saw any of these Cortexafan kids, they were distressed. They were in a bad emotional way. And now we find out that through massive dynamic rounding them up and helping them control their abilities that they are actually much stronger. We can maybe harness these abilities even when we go. These super soldiers are finally reaching their potential as some sort of actual super soldiers. So all of this stuff that's going on, I really liked. And seeing that Nick and Sally have a love scene and he's the empath who can project or or absorb like the feelings and them deciding whose sexual feelings they were going to feel was like a, a unique spin that you don't necessarily see the empaths in the X-Men universe talk about. So I thought that was interesting. And just realizing that as much as Walter has done terrible things, and even James calls out Walter, he's like, you're the guy who did this to us. We see that now that these people actually have a home and they know what is happening and someone to guide them, focus their abilities. It is not, the life ruining thing that it once was. But when they were just left to their own devices and all the Cortex fan kids were out there and struggling and not knowing it was disastrous. So I like that this does frame Walter in a little bit of a better light while still calling him out for the bullshit that him and bell did. And then of course, before they make the jump, Nina and Brandon at massive dynamic say, okay, we haven't actually seen William bell in forever. And our communication is not very great. So, like, we can send him a message and we'll just have to hope that he gets it. So they give William Bell a time and place that they will meet him in the other universe. Then we go to this opera house and we do Ring Around the Rosie. 
and we jump universes. What are you thinking when they arrive in the other universe immediately? The Cortexifan kids are not all right. The Fannies start experiencing some weird effects that Olivia has not suffered from. This team of super soldiers are actually like kind of spiraling a little bit as they are struggling to get footing on this side of the, the universal divide in a world gone mad that Cabbage Patch Kids are still all the rage. 30 years after their prime over here. With the Fanny kids, especially with Nick and the girl who can make fireballs, at first I was thinking the main reason why she was the one that was the most affected was the most effective other than the guy who could, you know, heal people that basically passed out the second that they arrived in the alt universe. The reason why I think that she was most affected is because they had sex the night before and they shared that energy with one another. So I'm thinking that that affected her adversely. The reason why I don't think that it affected Olivia is twofold. I don't think Olivia's Cortexafan powers ever is going to get to the level that Team Fanny are able to access them. Look, Olivia is touted to be the best of the Cortexafan kids, but as we go through the episodes here and as we see her interact with other people that have been affected by the Cortexafan trials, I don't think that's true. She, she's not one with the Cortexafan. Because if she was one with the Cortexafan, she would have been affected. But then again, she is the main character of the show. So I could, I could try and sort of explain that away as a writer. Or I could just say that she isn't so, she isn't that special when it comes to certain situations dealing with the Cortexafan kids, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think the way that I read it, and I think your way of reading it is perfectly valid. This is not a me calling you out moment or anything. I think the way that I took it is that Olivia might actually, as they say, be the strongest one. And her power is not some sort of showy superhero fireballs or empath. It's actually just being able to be stable no matter what the environment and be able to have this because she is so powerful that the universe can't pull at her. She actually is so grounded that the universe doesn't have a sway regardless of where she is. But they haven't really made it clear what Cortexafan. It hasn't given her any superpowers that we know of. But obviously, they keep mentioning that she is somehow the key to all of this. So I do think that's very interesting. And while we are on the other side, you mentioned that we see the Fringe team, and we do see the alternate Fringe team, which is a lot of fun. That Charlie is there. Olivia, who Fringe fans call Faux-Livia with her brunette hair. It's awesome to see that Olivia, because what we get in some of these small scenes to see just how similar and different they are. I don't want to sound like a sexist jerk, but she dresses a little bit more tight fitting and like sexier vibe than our Olivia. There's a point right near the end of the episode where she gets a call from Broyles and she's like, it's a weekend. Why are you calling me? And our Olivia never shuts off. If Broyles calls on the weekend, she doesn't care. She's a workaholic. That is her life. But this Olivia likes her time off. She likes to go get a rub down from her boyfriend. So I thought that was interesting to be able to see Peter on the other side. And of course, at the beginning of this episode, we find out that Peter did agree to go with Walternet, which 
pissed me off. I'm so fucking mad at Peter. And then we see him and we discover that Walter in it is the Secretary of Defense, which they kept calling him Mr. Secretary, but now we know for sure. He is the Secretary of Defense. The new, like, Pentagon or whatever it is, is at Liberty Island. Walter Nitt is the head guy. And he says, like, Peter, I'm going to need your help. I got this machine. I can't figure it out. You're the only guy who's going to be able to figure this out. I got to get some parts. Go hang out with your mom. And Peter and Elizabeth Bishop have an awkward but touching heart to heart. And that's the moment where we kind of understand why Peter agreed to this. Because... I'm so mad at Peter, and especially because Walter Nitt is kind of like our Walter in that if our Walter had been left to his own devices, he would be a cold, calculated guy. So I'm not getting dad of the year vibes from him. So I'm mad that Peter would just hop universes to be with his dad. But then when we get the mom and they're talking about his childhood memories and how certain memories he had didn't line up and he's realizing that those were memories before he was taken. And her saying, he's like, oh, I'm probably boring you when I tell you this. And she's like, no, I want to know everything. Like, you know, this is something that has been very difficult. But I like that moment. What are you thinking? Are you understanding where Peter is coming from when he has this meeting with his mom? Or are you still like me a little bit like the guy that we spent two seasons with would not just turn heel like this immediately? No, I don't think it was Peter turning heel at all. Like that moment when Peter wakes up, and he gets to reunite with his mom really, really hit my heartstrings because when I, you know, reconnected with my biological mom for the first time after 10 years, all I wanted to do was hug her because I couldn't see the true love that I had, you know, right in front of my face from my grandmother. And I was looking for love from an alternate source. So I really connected with Peter's will to want to connect with the mother that he lost, so to speak. And that's why th those scenes with Peter and his real mom really, really struck home with me. But I, you know, I could totally see it from your point of view where we spent, what, two seasons with Peter Bishop? So it'll be very hard for, for, for fans to accept that he would just, like you said, turn heel turn halfway around and leave the entire team that we know and love for another life and not really weigh out the consequences of doing that. Yeah, I think that's definitely something to take into account, and they do address my concerns as we go on. The big finale of this episode is a massive action scene where our fringe team goes to the rendezvous spot where they're supposed to meet Belle. Belle does not show up. But alternate fringe team does. And they are there to take us down because they must stop, even if they have to quarantine this zone. And in all of the action, Walter is shot. <laughs> Most of the, the fannies are wiped out. And Mr. Bryce Dallas Howard gets charred. Uh, Lincoln, who in real life is married to Bryce Dallas Howard, Seth Gable, he gets just rocked by an explosion and completely burnt. So. We think Bell has betrayed our team, and that is frustrating. And Walter is shot and gets into a hospital. Everybody scatters who's still alive. Olivia decides to look for her counterpart to find out where faux Olivia is. She goes to her house and is spying on her from out the street level. And we see that faux Olivia has like a boyfriend, 
and she's going to get a nice massage from him. Played by Philip Winchester, who, if there's any Cinemax fans, might have seen him on the action show Strike Back. That was a blast that ran for a few years. And there's a moment where he's going to give her the massage, and they move her hair, and we see that faux Livia has a tattoo on her neck. And anybody who watches TV or movies will know, okay, that tattoo is going to be one of the only ways we're going to be able to either tell our Olivia from their Olivia, or at that moment, I knew sometime in the next few episodes, hair dye was coming out one way or the other, and there was going to be a moment where somebody was not who they said they was, and this tattoo was going to be part of this plan because you don't show us that for no reason. And as our Olivia is watching on the street at Faux Olivia living this relaxing life that is not all work, William Bell shows up and says, I didn't betray you. I can help. Walter is in trouble. Let's get going. Marcella, what are you thinking as finally, for real, Nimoy is back and he's going to help Olivia figure out what's happening if we are to trust him? I was saying, thank God, finally we get William Bell. And I just want to, we'll get to a scene that I think is a, is a, is a highlight of the Bell and, and, and Walter relationship. Uh, uh, you know, in just a few minutes here. But I just want to say one more quick thing about Faux Olivia. I think Faux Olivia is the best. You know why I think Faux Olivia is the best? Because like you said, she's badass. She's sexy. She is like a combination of Sidney Bristow mixed in with Olivia Dunham. If Olivia Dunham didn't give a shit about anything. So I cannot wait to see the differences between Faux Olivia and our Olivia, I think it's going to be so much fun to see Ann and Tor play dual roles moving forward. Yeah, that's the best part about this is our a lot of our cast get to really flex their their acting muscles, not in a super complicated, you know, Tatiana Maslany orphan black way, but in a fun seeing Walter in it just be so different than our Walter and faux Livia having that Sydney Bristowness to her. It's going to be a blast. And that was a great place for them to end part one of the season finale, leaving us wanting more. The conclusion of the season over there, part two, aired May 20th. Still the same creatives all involved. And we do pick up where they have detected that Walter Bishop is in the hospital and the bad team fringe. I call them bad team, but we know that they're actually just working in the best interest of their universe. And nothing they're doing is actually nefarious. But uh, the alternate team fringe head over to try and intercept. And they are very surprised when they are sent on this mission to pick up another version of the secretary. And as they go, luckily, our Olivia gets there first and intercepts and gets Walter, who's having a great time after being shot. Because it turns out the drugs on the other side are magnificent and their ways that they can heal people are far beyond our capabilities. So I loved that even in the midst of all the action going on, Walter still got to do a little bit of his favorite psychotropic drugs. Marcelo, what are you thinking as we're, we're getting this second half of the finale going? The main thing that I love about that 
the scene when evil fringe team for the sake of this conversation going to find our Walter when our Livia finds Walter Walter our Walter says something very very funny uh Olivia mentions oh William Bell is here and Walter just said uh, and Walter just says oh good it's about time that he shows up also there's this great scene where William Bell tries to distract the Olivia from the other universe and the Charlie Francis from the other uh, from the other universe. I thought that that was very 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 awesome. But the thing that made my heart sing was when 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 we had that giant fight between our Olivia and the alternate universe's Olivia. I really 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 thought that Anator did a fantastic job with showing us the differences between the other universe Olivia and our Olivia, the emotion on our Olivia's face, how she was pleading with bad Olivia to just to just try and level with her and, and find some common ground. And the tiny differences between them were just great. And then how Olivia gets the upper hand during the fight and, and, and ends up tying bad Olivia to a to a couch and ends up dyeing her hair and meeting up with Peter. And that moment when Olivia says to Peter, you have to come back because you belong with me. And then you have the shipper moment where they kiss and they, oh, I was just smiling from ear to ear. I mean, it's, you know, it's shipper bullshit. But you know how much I love my shipper bullshit, especially in the Fringe universe. So I loved all of that. The The price of admission for me in this episode is the conversation between William Bell and our Walter in Walter's lab in the other universe, the emotion, the century of baggage that is unpacked in that one scene is just amazing. How Walter basically wants to blame everything that he's done at the feet of William Bell. And the fact that William Bell is trying to get Walter to focus, to get a sort of machine that they need to open up a portal to their universe is just fantastic. I thought the acting in that scene was so, so well done. And it was my favorite scene of the entire season, I believe. We get two great Walter and William moments. The one is where they go to the old lab and they are looking for a piece of technology that they will be able to use as a doorstop to make sure that when they go back to our universe, the other people can't follow them. And they have that talk where Walter, at that moment, is still mad because he knows that William Bell removed parts of his brain. And he feels like that is the ultimate violation. And he's still bitter over the way that their lives have gone different routes. And he says, while you were over here starting your new life, I was in a mental institution for 17 fucking years. And there is no way for me to explain to you how much that broke me. Seeing these two guys who at one time were so similar and best friends and have diverged so far apart was heartbreaking. And Walter in those moments and John Noble as our Walter is playing it so vulnerable and emotional and we get it. It like really lands. And they have a very nice moment at the very, very end, right before some huge action goes down, that really seals that as being like this really nice parallel to see these two guys who at one time 
were so similar. It's also awesome that, as we have mentioned, you know, the playing different characters from that scene where Walter is so broken and so honest and vulnerable to Walternet being so fucking cold and calculated as he tells Peter, this machine is going to save the world. This is going to heal everyone. This is this great thing. You're helping me out, son. I love you like you're the only guy. And we know that there's something up because we've seen the pamphlet that the observers have as he realizes that he's lying to Peter and faux Livia realizes that the people coming over, they always knew invaders from another world were going to come. They didn't know it was going to be them. And when Walter and it says like, yeah, you didn't know it was going to be you. And faux Livia meets Peter and they have this interaction where Peter obviously has all of his Olivia Dunham baggage and Folivia clocks it and she drives him to his apartment and gets him settled like in this new place where he's going to work on this power source for his dad's machine. But she realizes that him and the other Olivia had a thing going on and she gets a lot of information in a very short amount of time from this interaction with Peter. But we also find out that Peter Bishop's kidnapping is the stuff of legend. He says, oh, I'm like the Lindbergh baby. And they're like, who is that? So different things have happened on their side. But it is like a very famous story that, you know, Walter being who he is on that side. Walter and it is the secretary of defense. The fact that his son disappeared all these years ago is actually like something that people know. And she's like, oh, my God, when people find out Peter Bishop is back, the media is going to have a field day. So I loved seeing that and watching as Folivia absorbs these small details knowing that peter is kind of drawn to her a bit because of the similarities between our olivia but as you mentioned the fight that ensues when our olivia shows up at faux olivia's apartment because she knows where the hide key is is epic and having anatorv versus anatorv is so much fun and to see these two women and the hair color thing was a, a stroke of genius to just make us know who was who in those moments and then our Olivia gets the upper hand and realizes that the best way for her to continue is to infiltrate alternate team fringe. So she is the one who breaks out the hair dye first. She ties for Olivia to a couch and Charlie shows up and she says, Charlie, we got to go do some Peter Bishop shit. And he says, what? And she goes, no, I got new orders. So let's uh, take me to Peter Bishop and let's get this ball rolling. What are you thinking as Olivia is the one who goes undercover Sydney Bristow style? posing as faux Livia to find out where Peter is. I was thinking that our Livia really didn't really think that one through. People in this universe have these IDs, right? They're called show me's. So I would have thought that our Livia would have thought it through about how she was going to convey to Peter that she was our Olivia and she wasn't full Olivia. Her lack of a plan really showed how desperate she was. And I would have possibly done it a little bit differently. But with that being said, I don't know how I would have done it. Because like I just said, to move around in the alternate universe, you need this ID. And if you don't have this ID, you can't. It's, it's very hard for you to move around. So I was unhappy with the way that our Olivia handled that. I don't know how I would have written it differently to make it flow a little bit better. Yeah, the show me really comes into play later in a much bigger way. And I kept getting multi-pass Fifth Element vibes. <laughs> but my favorite scene 
being the guy who does buy into the shipper bullshit is absolutely when Olivia knocks out Alt Charlie and she goes, Peter, it's me. And he's going, yeah, I'm getting that. And she tells him, look, Walternet is lying. You are here to destroy us. He actually has no intentions of healing the world. And I love that it doesn't take a lot of convincing. Peter is like, fuck, I'm an idiot. I should have known. He, he does realize, and he partly realizes it because he decodes that sequence of events for the power cell and realizes it's locked to a, a sequence that only certain people can, can use it. And then he's like, actually, only one person can use this, and that's me. And that's where he starts to realize, if I'm the only one who can power this, maybe it's not some sort of nice thing. So I love that he believes her, and then he says, I don't belong anywhere here, there, like, I don't know. And she says, but look, you belong with me. And it's one of those great, like, oh my God, they've been through so much. If they would just go for it, they would be great together. And I, I love it. They kiss and it's like, fuck yeah. But as that is happening, we know that shit is going to go bad. This is the season finale. They're not going to be able to just traverse back and everybody's going to be happy. So as they go back, big action scene breaks out as Walter and Bell are opening the door and trying to make sure that we can get Peter through. There is a moment where Olivia and full Olivia are shooting at each other and everything's going on. And if you are, again, I watch so much TV there, there are certain tropes that you just know that the moment that our Olivia got knocked out and we didn't explicitly see her in that shot, you know, wake up and come to and whatever. But then the next shot was just, an Olivia running in and being like, guys, I'm good. Let's get out of here. Alarm bells are going off. And as the shootouts happening and William Bell basically says, I am like this unstable atom bomb and I'm not going to be able to, to go with you guys. We know that all of this is coming to a, a huge head right before William helps with this, like ultimate sacrifice to get them out of there. He says, Walter, the reason I remove those pieces of your brain. And we knew this information, but Walter didn't. Is because you asked me to. Because you knew the type of person you were becoming. And in that moment, Walter gets it. He basically forgives Belle and he realizes, oh shit, I was a bad person. And the only reason that I am not Dr. Frankenstein anymore is because William did this for me. He didn't do it to me. He did it for me. And I thought that moment as we're in like this huge action, that and the Peter Olivia kiss are the highlights. And Walter finally getting that perspective. Marcella, what are you thinking as he realizes the truth about these missing pieces of his brain? Like you, I thought that was one of the highlights of the episode because it's such a heartbreaking moment because uh, for two seasons, Walter has been blaming William Bell for everything. So it was really nice for William Bell to have that moment where he put everything out on the table and he told Walter that he did it because Walter asked him and because Walter is his only true friend. So I really loved that moment like you did and I thought that it was heartbreaking to the nines. Like you, that moment when Olivia gets knocked out and then... The next minute we see Olivia standing over her saying, hey, I'm okay, guys, let's go. I was like, bullshit, bullshit. There's something wrong here. 
I I did not fall for it. I smelled it all the way. Granted, I knew it was coming, but still, maybe if I was, you know, the writers, I would have tried to do something more cagey and a little bit more differently. But again, uh, this season finale, I think, has been the best that Fringe has given us. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain. For the most part, this season finale has been the best that Fringe has given us so far. And I think that outweighs the little things that bother you and me, obviously, about storytelling and and TV. Yeah, this is probably one of the best episodes to date. And I don't mind that they do give us those tells because we do play that card before this episode is over. If they had made us wait an entire season to find out that faux Livia had taken Olivia's spot, then I would have been kind of mad at them that they tipped their hand too early. But the final scenes of this is they do get back to our universe. Everybody's back. Everybody's singing Kumbaya and having a great time. And we even get a moment where Peter says to Walter, I can't see everything from your point of view. I don't necessarily understand everything you have done, but you have traveled to another universe twice to save me. That has to count in the grand scheme of things so we can move forward. And he he forgives him, but it's not like absolving him of everything. But Peter says in that moment, like, I get it. I realized that everything you did, you thought you were doing for my well-being. So I guess we can move forward. It is then that the rug is pulled out from under us because Olivia goes to a certain shop and says, I need to go in the back. And we're like, fuck off. What the hell? And she says, you know, team infiltrated, awaiting orders. And she's typing and we're like, oh, damn it. This sucks. (laughs) The wrong Olivia came over. And then we see our Olivia is being held captive and Walternet will not listen to her pleas for release. Marcelo, in that final moment where we know that faux Olivia has come back and our Olivia is trapped over there, what are you thinking and what are you hoping that the next season will do to explore this further? Oh, God damn it. I'm just thinking that is such a fucking kicking the nads after after everything they gave us they gave us that peter and olivia kiss that you and i've been waiting for for the whole season we called out the switcheroo you know they had full olivia going to the going to the technology shop asking for the typewriter in the back and then to add insult to injury we find that we find out that our olivia is being hold, held captive by walternet i was like Oh, come on. You you guys are just, you know, fucking around with my emotions right now. But you know what? I'm going to let you because I love the episode. And I thought that this was a fantastic way to end out such a good season with some inconsistencies. But I really have no idea about how faux Olivia is going to get out of her current predicament because like... I said before, I don't necessarily think that our Olivia is strong enough to activate her Cortexafan. So if she can't activate her Cortexafan, how the hell is she going to get out? And are there other Cortexafan children in the alternate universe? So it's it's like our Olivia is stuck in a box. And I can't wait to see how she's going to get out. And we will have to find out as we visit season three starting next week. So that is a great place to stop for our epic 100th episode talking about over there, one of the best episodes of Fringe. If you guys like the episodes or have any questions or comments, 
Shout us out on Twitter at JJUniverse815 or use the hashtag Radio815. We'll read any comments on the show. We also have our episodes on YouTube. You can look for Radio815. You can listen there or obviously follow, like, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Let everybody know if they like Fringe, they got to check out this pod. Thanks so much. I am also on Twitter. You can reach out to me at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, Twitter's a great spot to get in touch with you. How can they do that? I'm also on Twitter. As you said, I'm at CreekFanatic88. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We appreciate each and every one of you. And until next time, Radio 815, over and out. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.